possibility that that both the the firmware on the cold card and the computer is compromised like is it's very unlikely so you just never type in your 24 words on a computer only on an air gap device so the only way to check the 23 words and check some on the cold card is to have an air gapped computer with a way with something you know piece of software loaded on there to check for you no you no no but, 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 stop. start recording Oh, I already need to launch. You recorded. Yeah, I hope you need, you need to launch. Not necessary. Yeah, not necessary. You need an air gap computer. You need it. You need it. There's no choice. Like to vet the no, card. No, because you, dude, you could yeah. use the you could use the first ten, Sean. Like you only need to you only need to make sure that the first. Like for example, if you start rolling dice, right, and you roll ten dice, right, and the and and after you roll ten dice, it's not the same seed, right, on the on what's showing on your computer and what's showing on the cold card, you could already infer that something's going on there, right? You can infer, but you can't verify what I'm talking about. You can infer. We agree. You can't verify. So I'm, I'm actually think that, the, that uh, having a system, there might be some opportunity here to like really get hardware wallet manufacturers to do something like this card seed generation system because I think it takes so much trust out of the hardware ma wallet manufacturers entirely. So you know how Twitter is talking about having like a really consumer friendly hardware wallet. I mean, seed generation with a card game that anyone can do. I mean, it it I think it really would actually kind of be really beneficial for all hardware wallet manufacturers to support something like this and then just make it possible to to generate the checksum on the hardware wallet device. So at that point, I mean, there's so little room for them to um, kind of backdoor or manipulate or whatever that it would be pretty big game changer. And even with multi-sig, because then you can have, you know, three hardware wallets with the same manufacturer and not have to worry about, okay, did I pick the right manufacturer? You know, that's, so I, I think it could be really valuable for the space. Hey, uh, Jimbo, if I wanted to find out more about these cards, um, where can I? Uh, what do you mean find more about it? Like, are you talking about the, the printout with yeah. uh, the instructions? Yeah, everything. Uh, I, I can post links. I thought links were going to be posted, but I, let me... Post I, I put I put the, the, the links to the information in the stream video of the your presentation so they are in the last video's presentation i i can add them to this one if we need to though jimbo we already decided we're only printing 21 of them so thanks hard jimbo cap. yeah the hard cap on the cards <laughs> uh, that makes sense <laughs> at least one you know 21 million <laughs> Even that's hard capped. Um, I'm just pasting some links. All right, cool. Yeah, we'll. Uh, I'll, I'll add right. those to to the even the teachers lounge presentation uh, or description. So Jimbo, I'm 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 assuming the more you mix, the more ent entropy, right? The more you mix up the cards, like you want to shuffle the shit out of these things. Yeah, so that so that that's a great question. Is like how many shuffles is enough? 
Um, so there was a paper, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to cite the, the actual authors. This is from the middle of the 20th century, uh, where they modeled shuffling cards as basically cutting at a random point and then riffling. So, uh, you know, letting the cards fall one one side, then the other side. So they modeled they modeled um, random cut followed by riffle, and they found that about seven shuffles is enough. Uh, that was that was back in the in the 20th century. I wanted to replicate that result. So in the code project uh, that I just linked in the live chat, um, I have a simulation where I uh, performed a shuffle under different conditions and then computed the entropy of the worst slot. So if you, th if you think about it this way, let's so, so suppose you start, suppose you start with a deck of cards that is completely ordered, like ace of spades, two of spades, blah, 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 like it just goes through the, the orderings. You take half in each hand, and then you shuffle. Now think about just the bottom card of the deck after one shuffle. It will either be the bottom card from the beginning of the shuffle, or the bottom card will be the one that you cut. Right? The bottom card will be one of those two. It can't be any other card, right? By virtue of how the shuffle works. Yes. So right? But cards in the middle of the deck could be offset by several positions, up or down. Okay? So when you do a riffle shuffle of a deck, the whole deck is not equally randomized, right? The middle of the deck is more randomized than the edges. The top card is going to either be the original top card or something from the middle. The bottom Card, the bottom card of the deck after one shuffle will either be the original bottom card or something from the middle from the cut. Okay, so what so what my what my um, what my algorithm does is it says, look at the card in the deck with least entropy, like what card was least random, and then we're going to shoot for 99%. Like I want the card that has the least entropy to be 99% of the total possible entropy that could be in that card slot. And then, and then the question is, how many shuffles does it take? And I found, you know, based on my, my research, that, again, about seven shuffles um, makes sense. Actually, let me go ahead and share my screen, because I can show the table of results. Let me just do screen share. Yeah, this is, this is fascinating, dude. So with the dice rolls, I think it was 100. I, 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 didn't, I, I, I rolled it 1,000 times. Um, because I didn't feel comfortable with just the hundred. So if you say seven, I'm going to shuffle probably like 30 <laughs> just to make yeah. it safe. That's fine. So let me, uh, can you see my screen? I can. Okay. So this is the seed picker solitaire, um, GitHub project. Uh, it links to the PDF at the top, but then this is basically describing how I came up with all that. So, so the PDF is good for just doing the process. This is all about the backstory. So down here, I have a section on how many shuffles is enough. So let me just go down, right? How, many sh how much shuffling is enough? Begin by requiring the deck is shuffled thoroughly, but how thoroughly, right? How much is enough entropy? Right, let me just make this a little smaller. Okay, so the way that I modeled this was I invented this metric called stickiness. So a stickiness, the stickiness metric is how likely is it that two cards stick together when you're shuffling? Like when you're shuffling the cards and you're riffling them, do they stick together or do they separate? So 0.5 means 50 chance that, it, that they stick together. 0.1 would mean there's a 10% chance they stick together. 0.8 means that like 80% of the time the card sticks together. 0.9 means 90% sticky. 0.95 means like 95% of the time the cards stick together, so only one out of 20 times. Like, you can imagine this is like a gummed up deck of the 1970s that like hardly ever breaks apart. And then 0.99 would be 99% sticky. So after one shuffle, as I mentioned, the worst card in the deck 
for all of these cases, it's always going to be 50-50, the card uh, that you started with on the bottom, or it would be uh, the, the the one that was split. So you notice that they all have this terrible 17% you know, 0.17 of the available entropy after one shuffle. After two shuffles, they get better. The one that gets better the most is the 0.8, uh, 80% stickiness. After three shuffles, uh, you're up to 90% stickiness in the, sorry, you're up to 90% of the maximum entropy in the worst card slot for the 80% sticky deck. 97 after four shuffles. After five shuffles, you're already at the uh, what you know the threshold I set, which was 99%. You're already at 99%, either at the 50% uh, sticky or 80% sticky deck, um, but not quite there for the 10%, 90%, uh, 95, and 99%. After seven shuffles, uh, even even a deck that has cards that stick together. 95% uh, of the time, right? They only separate one time out of 20. After seven shuffles, the worst card in the deck has 99% of the possible entropy it could have. Um, and everything goes up from there. Even after 15 shuffles, a 99% sticky deck, right, where cards separate only one in 100 times, uh, you're still not there after 15 shuffles. So if you have a deck of cards that is so sticky that the whole deck of cards cannot be cut in half, I would not recommend using this procedure. But if you have cards that separate at least one time in 20, um, after seven shuffles, you'll have 99%. And if you want to get to like 0.9, you know, 99.99%, 14 shuffles is plenty. 15 shuffles is more than enough, right? So this is based on the model that I wrote, which replicates the results um, from academia uh, from the 20th century. Jimbo, this is fascinating. What's your background? Uh, my background? Yeah. I mean, don't, uh, don't dox yourself if you don't feel comfortable answering. That's fine. Fine. My job is uh, I'm a software engineer. Um, my primary programming languages are front end, so I'm mostly like TypeScript, uh, JavaScript front end. Uh, I specialize yeah. in data. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I asked is because, like, obviously, like, th there's a lot of math here. Um, you know, so like, where do you get that background from? I get the background from. Uh, well. So, I mean, I have a degree in computer science. Um, my day job is software engineer. I've been doing that for, uh, I don't know, since, I mean, I've been programming since I was in middle school and I've been uh, doing this all the time. Um, I read, uh, I read uh, the book I mentioned earlier, Practical Cryptography, um, when I was in college, just on a whim. I was like, I'd like to know more about this but then. Uh, so, you, so you taught yourself this shit. That's awesome, bro. That's good shit. This is really, really awesome. I'm definitely going to use this method in the future. It looks really fucking cool. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And I welcome feedback. I'm out to uh, some smart people I know to give me feedback. I haven't heard anybody say that it doesn't work. Um, and if it doesn't, I would like to know why you know, or how. I, I, like I said, all the code is out there. Um, you can reproduce any of my results uh, You know, just by running the, the, the code. I'm an idiot when it comes to these things, but uh, if I find a typo, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Jimbo, man, you're, you're awesome, dude. I just uh, wanted to ask you if you've used the seed signer at all. Uh, I have not. That is one of the hardware wallets I have not yet used. I'm not opposed to using it. I just haven't uh, gone through the process yet. Cool, man. Cheers. Uh, appreciate you taking the time, man. Really do. No problem. Yeah, I, I've heard about Seed Signer. I, I just, I'm not a hardware guy. So, like, if I have to go and source parts and then put them together, uh, 
that's going to be hard. Like, I mean, it's just it's just more of a project than I want to do. If I can just buy one and it, it's just ready to go, then that I would do. I will say I did it without yeah. without soldering because uh, there's like a hammer jig and it, it really isn't as daunting as you would think. Kind of like a quick Lego set, to be honest. Um, it's like putting together a note, honestly. Um, and it was really easy. Like it was smooth. And I got my case printed from Crypto Cloaks, but um, he's working on building them so that he can pre-sell them like pre-built. Right. Um, but it's definitely something cool to... Um, to look at in terms of like all the stuff they're doing with seeds and stuff. If you follow them, um, they're doing stuff, cool things with QR codes and, you know, it has the QR scanner. So they're also looking at like generating seeds from like weird images and, you know, it just, it's just a cool little think tank of people, man. You should, you should check it out. I'll shoot you their telegram link as well in this discord chat. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you say it's not too hard, then maybe I'll give it a try. Um, it, yeah, it I really just, isn't, man. It really isn't. I promise. <laughs> Well, awesome stuff, guys. We we ninja launched the episode about 13 minutes ago. So to those listening on the podcast, that was the continuation of Jimbo's seed signing with cards, creating your own seed with a deck of cards. And there was just so much signal. I had to just ninja launch the recording so that you guys could at least get some of the the behind-the-scenes discussion that happens during kindergarten this this happens in our discord so without further ado guys let's let's get this block hide in and the price and we will start start with our regularly scheduled teachers lounge that was epic jimbo we really appreciate that that was you're you're blowing everyone's mind everyone's like man i, I am i feel real dumb right now so shouts out to you dude for creating such a such a cool technique but before we go any further, the block height we're at is 691,076. And the current price per Bitcoin is $32,743. Oh, geez. Jestifer, Weinekis, how do how do we uh how do we follow up that, man? That's uh uh more signal than than usual. I'll I'll say that, because that was epic. Jimbo's blowing our minds over here. Bullish on Bitcoin. Everyone gets a college degree. After that, <laughs> uh, yeah, like Wanika said, bullish on Bitcoiners, man. I'll take care of all the smart people we have in Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we got a we, we got a good comment in YouTube, and it says, "Much respect to the mathematicians that can explain it simply." So, kudos to you, Jimbo. Guys, so I didn't sleep for like a week after I like read Bib thirty nine and understood that I. I was relying on my cold card. And then I was just like talking to Wine and an optimist and crackhead hour. And Wine's like, have you heard of Jimbo the consensualist? And I'm like, first of all, what the fuck is consensualism, Jimbo? Like, stop. Oh, is that, is that, is that a legit question? Wine brought it up. He's like, what is consensualism? And I'm like, dude, you know what? That is an interesting part of his name. Never heard yeah. of it. The, so the easiest way to explain it is that it's a rebrand of anarcho-capitalism, right? So if you think of anarcho-capitalism, anarcho-capitalism has the unfortunate feature of sounding really bad, right? So people equate 
like you know we can disagree with people all day people equate anarchy with chaos and they equate uh, capitalism some people do with exploitation so when you combine those two things and you get anarcho-capitalism it sounds really horrible and then even on top of that it just has a lot of um consonants it's like anarcho-capitalism like it's like you're spitting it out so it it sounds really sounds really bad fighting an uphill battle against people trying to argue that they should like this philosophy so my goal was go ahead no no no. continue i'm sorry Oh, so my so my goal was basically to rebrand it in a way that would not be arguable. So it is based on consensus. The idea behind consensualism is that you put consent, getting consent of everyone involved, above other moral concerns. It's not that there aren't other moral concerns. There are. You just put consent above those concerns, right? First, you make sure that everybody's on board. So the thing I like about consensualism is, as a term, to, to uh, rebrand anarcho-capitalism is that um, – uh, first of all, it acknowledges that other people exist. So some people will say, well, I like the term voluntarianism. Like voluntarism is a good term, but it still focuses on the individual, focuses on the volunteer, which is okay, but lots of people don't think that way. So you're going to turn off people like, well, that's great if you don't want to volunteer, but what about these starving children, right? So um, volunteer, vo volunteerism is, is, a good, is a good attempt. Consensualism, the focus on the relationship between people. So it's not that there's just one person, because nobody's an island, like that's alone, uh, you know, out the um, the proverbial, uh, you know, um, the jungle. Nobody's alone. We are in these relationships. Consensualism acknowledges that there are relationships and that those relationships should uh, be about people agreeing, coming to agreement. So as a corollary, um, Free speech is super important to consensualism because speech is how you arrive at consent. You can't have consent if you can't talk about what it is you want to consent to or not or not do, right? So free speech is super important to consensualism. So, and the other thing I like about consensualism is you can't argue against it. So suppose you're talking to somebody who would want to argue with you, and you're, you're like, okay, well, when is it not okay to get consent, right? Because the word consent has all this like sexual connotation. Right? People should do things consensually, like with everybody agreeing. And so if you're arguing for non-consent, like what, what non-consensual activity do you think is okay, right? And they look like the asshole, right? So that's the whole point here is to uh, get people on board with an effectively anarcho-capitalism, uh, anarcho-capital philosophy, but slip it in the back door that they can't argue with. No, dude, the, what, what you're doing you're doing is extremely intelligent. Um, it's, uh, you're, what, what you're doing is you're setting the narrative, right? Um, and you know, and then this information war that we're fighting, it's it's very important that we control the narrative. Um, you know, I I, I kind of did the same thing. Very, I, I I did something very similar. I, I basically said, listen, if you're against Bitcoin, you're against freedom. You know that that makes the other side exactly what you just said. It puts the other side on the defensive, right? Rather than uh, rather, I'm sorry, it puts the other side on the defensive, and it puts us on the offensive. And I think that that's what you're trying to do with the way that you phrase that, right? Because it's, it's exactly what you said. How do you defend against non-consent? You know, how do you, how do you defend against being against freedom? You know? So I, I think that with, you know, with, with this information war that we're fighting this, this battle for people's minds, it's important that we take the offensive, we set the narrative, we set the terms, right? So that the other side doesn't uh, doesn't have that 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 capability. Yep, it's a it's a uh, it's a what is it? How does it go? Um, memes are the ammunition in the war of ideas, 
And so that's what we're doing is we're crafting memes. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And every meme, dude, is every meme, every like, every engagement. It's literally like uh, it's 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 a metaphorical shot for people's minds, man. Like that's literally what it is. Right. And it's just so important. And uh, especially with um, I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, the rhetoric now, uh, Powell, Jerome Powell, the, 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 the head of the Federal Reserve, you know, he basically said that uh, came out today on a video, basically said that if the you know, if, if there is a digital U.S. dollar, there would be no need for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and uh you know, coincidentally, you know, I don't, I don't really believe in coincidences, um, you know, that you have the European, the, the head of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, also, you know, coming out and saying the same messaging, right? Saying, uh, you know, you, you, if you want the safest money around, you, you can use central bank digital currencies. And then it's funny because she mentions Bitcoin by name. She says, uh, you don't need Bitcoin once we have this already. And one of their avenues of attack, which we all predicted, of course, was, uh, you know, they're all trying to make this argument that Bitcoin uses too much energy. Right. So it, it's just important that we stay on top of that. Just keep calling out their bullshit. We are winning the fight, because if you look at any of their fucking posts, they get just completely demolished. They just get completely ratioed and demolished. But it's just important that we keep the pressure on them and uh, just calling out their bullshit. You know, because we have the truth on their that we have the truth on our side, and that's a very, very powerful thing to have on your side of the football. Well, Nico, I am glad you brought that up because I titled this episode "Everything You Know Is a Lie and Fake," and you you brought up exactly what I wanted to talk about. But first, before that, um, you brought up another point about how you said the line, if you're against Bitcoin, you're against freedom. And we got a few celebrities in the house. We got Nico, and uh, you, your, your face was on Rolling Stones this week for your infamous uh, presentation at Bitcoin conference. And they also referenced or quoted Wynicus under his old Twitter tag, Bitcoin is us. So... That was epic. And when me and Jestifer were talking yesterday, we came up with the question of, and, and we hope that you'd be here. So we're, we're teeing you up for uh, epic Nico rant. But the question is, what does, quote unquote, then they fight us look like? Is it just more FUD or is it exactly what we're seeing? Because we also had uh, the head of the biz come out and say that they are pushing for CBDC so that they can have total control over the economy. And it's just like you said, man, it's if you know what to see, it's so obvious what is happening. But for the vast majority of people, they, you know, they, they don't know what's going on. And like you said, you know, Jerome Powell, Christine Lagarde, like they're all spitting a, a specific narrative of that. We don't need Bitcoin. And, we we would argue the opposite and also you know like we know cpi is a bunch of trash but they just came out with the statistics this week and they're a lot higher than they said it would be so it like it's very obvious to us in the know that they are fighting us and they're they're trying to fight the narrative that bitcoin is the way and we even had um man i'm, I'm blanking on what his name is 
but uh, he went on Squawk Box, and and I put it in my ch- in my DM. So give me one second. Um, he is uh, what the head of the. Dang, I'm blanking. Um, oh, what I do with it? Um, he's he's that one dude. He's got the glasses. You guys know who I'm talking about. I'm oh, blanking, Min- I'm blanking on his name. Min- yeah, Minuchin. Uh, yeah. yeah, he, he came out and said on Squawk Box basically a year after denouncing Bitcoin that, yeah, if you guys want to hold Bitcoin, then so be it. it. It may be a good thing in your portfolio like gold, but he's not going to hold it. So we're definitely in the stages of the meme war where they're fighting us and they're about to, you know, bend the knee to Bitcoin because they know that they, they can't fight it. And they've tried, and here we are, and we're still chugging along. And you know, Bitcoin dies every other week, but it's still over 30k. And like you said, dude, the Bitcoin's the way, man. And and we're winning this this meme war, and people out there just don't know it yet. But us in the know definitely see what's happening, and it's definitely invigorating and exciting to see this, even though we know that. They're gaslighting us and, and they're making us try to feel stupid and that we're losing this war. But like uh, Dude, they're saying in the Discord chat, we got young Alex Jones, Nico in here spreading the word. Dude, it, it's it's you know, it you just have to be clear. Like we have to be very clear um, where we're at right now. OK. And, you know, like there's a lot of things that I say on Twitter that, you know, you might take them as hyperbolic and you might take them as like, whoa, that's really intense, but I don't see it that way. Okay. The, the way that I see it, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's Bitcoin or slavery. Okay. We either live in a world where we're free to transact and we're free to interact with anyone across the planet, or we live in a world where, you know, big daddy government has the final say of who you can and who you can't transact with, uh, who, what you can spend your money on, what you can't spend your money on. You know, th- those are that's the world that we're heading into. Okay, so what's at stake is literally freedom or slavery. Like, that's literally what's at stake. And I'm going to read you a tweet that I posted a couple days ago that kind of really explains what exactly is going on and uh, it got a lot of attention so i think that you guys would find it valuable um i basically said uh the great awakening is upon us mainstream media is the fiat propaganda arm they're directly responsible for wars political misinformation social unrest unnecessary medical deaths etc social media disintermediated them and most of us have woken up from the psyop Now, anyone with a camera and microphone could do what they do, but unlike them, most of us are not beholden to any masters. Even though we lack the production value and support from the establishment, we could be honest and sincere. The truth is dangerous to the elites that are used to having a total monopoly on information. They can no longer control the narrative, which is why they have resorted to censorship, canceling, fact-checking, etc. These dying yet powerful institutions are and will be one of the main mechanisms that central banks and governments will use to attack Bitcoin. The rhetoric is intensifying, but we are still flying relatively under the radar. We must address and relentlessly debunk all misinformation they will peddle in order to maintain control. We, the toxic Bitcoin maximalists, are the last line of defense. 
This is not a kinetic war. This is an information war. Every like, every tweet, every meme, every video, every engagement is a metaphorical bullet shot in the battle to free people's minds. The stakes are high. We know what they want. They want us to be slaves. They want us to own nothing and be happy. They want us to continue using their broken money, fiat and central bank digital currencies to fund their kinetic wars and failed policies the majority of us do not support. Their hubris will be their downfall. They underestimate our conviction. They can't comprehend that we will die on this hill because they sold out their principles long ago. We are now part of a movement that is much larger than ourselves. There will be and have been many casualties. Liberty must be taken. It will not be given. We are all soldiers in this, and it's our responsibility to win this epic struggle of our time, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, not for us, but for the generations to come. We must fight now so that our children could be born free. Ooh, so, like, go off, King. So, like, that's the situation. That's what's at stake. That's what's going on. Okay. And whether, whether you Nico want, Jones, bro. I'm calling, that's what I'm calling you from now on, Nico Jones, bro. You're the young, <laughs> dude. Whether, you need to whether, simply Bitcoin, dude, ASAP. Just saying. <laughs> whether you want to realize whether you want to be awake to this war or not, that's your decision, but it's happening all around you, okay? And the other side is constantly showing us their cards, right? When they went after Nakeem Bukele, as soon as he announced lay Bitcoin for some reason, you know, you have an article from Reuters, uh, you know, the fiat propaganda arm saying, look, there's corruption in El Salvador, right? They put a picture of Nakeem Bukele, but in the list of the supposedly corrupted officials, he wasn't even on the list, but they put the picture just to mentally associate him with corruption, right? And then you have, you know, a U.S. government official going over there, you know, and using the same type of rhetoric that was mentioned in the corruption article. And then not to not like literally a day after you have uh, Nakeem Bukele saying, you know, United Fruit Company, right? So it's like, it's like he's literally telling you. Right. He's literally telling you what's going on. Right. And it's so obvious that the IMF, the World Bank, the whatever, these are literal, literally neo-colonial institutions, man, that have been used to oppress the the poorest countries on planet Earth. They'll give them loans that they will never pay back. Right. And now there's this alternative uh, monetary system. Right. That's just better. It's just better. And it doesn't require any of those committees. It doesn't require any of these things. So, like, if you look at it from, like, a purely, you know, game theory, you know, kind of, like, perspective, right? Bitcoin wins this. But what I'm worried about, right, and what I keep mentioning is, I, dude, the bumpy road ahead of us is going to be tough, man, because th these people are not going to want to lose control. And they're all about control. They, they, they feel the fiat system needed control, right? So these people live on this, like, whether they're psychopath, like, whether it's because they, they grew up with it, whether they, I have no idea, man, but they're obsessed with controlling people. They're obsessed with with controlling what you can and what you cannot do with your money. Bro, that tweet from uh, from Barclays Bank the other day, right? Where it's like they don't want people sending people uh, sending money to Binance. 
And it literally says, like, we're doing this to keep your money safe. Do you understand the hubris in that statement? Right. You work, you pay taxes for that money. Right. You go and work and you pay taxes for that money. And then here's an institution that's saying, listen, I know what's best for you. I'm not going to let you do what you want with your money. Okay. Like these are the same people that want central bank digital currencies. These people are fucking psychopaths, man. They're fucking crazy people. Right. So we don't have the luxury. Right. Which is what I love. What what Jimbo said about, you know, kind of rephrasing uh, the anarcho capitalism thing. We don't have the luxury of the other side having to set the narrative. Right. We can't allow that to happen. We can't. It's not even like a discussion like this ESG, this climate narrative, this blah, blah, blah. No, you shut it down right from the beginning. You make the other side defend their side because the other side is undefensible, bro. They can't define You can't you can't defend. The other side is so undefensible that it's like, listen, so you're about you're against Bitcoin. Okay, so you're against private property for the the rest of the planet you're against uh you know uh like an actual monetary system for 60 percent of the bank that 60 percent of the world that's unbanked you're against that you're against uh you know a venezuelan having basic access to some type of financial system so that he could survive in his country that's experiencing hyperinflation you're against that you make them sound like monsters but you have to be the one on the offensive you have to be the one attacking them. Don't allow them to attack you, right? Because if they set the narrative, which is like, Bitcoin is only for drug dealers. Bitcoin's only for this. Bitcoin's only for that. Fuck that shit. No. If you're against Bitcoin, you're against freedom. You defend it, motherfucker. You defend that. You're against Bitcoin? Okay. So you're against people having access to basic finance. You're against people being able to transact freely. You're against this. And it paints them out for what they are, which are psychopathic, parasitic fucking monsters, right? That's what they are. But you have to be aggressive. You have to be, you have to be offensive, uh, aggressive. You have to be savage because, man, like, look at what's at stake. I, I, I read it to you. Look at what's at stake. It's like freedom or slavery. That's what's at stake. Freedom or slavery. Woo. Mika with the fire tonight. Let's go, dude. Hey, I got the chills. That was absolutely epic, man. And and I agree. I, I can't even I can't even add to that because you said it all, bro. Let's go, Nico. Yeah, what do we even talk about after that? <laughs> well, I mean, I I have this question over here because we also saw uh, on the New York Times, they they did a tweet. Uh, I forget what day it was, but it was this week since last last uh, last week's episode, and it was about the the Cuban protests. And in the in their tweet, they said that the protesters were saying such things like freedom and other anti-government protests. So it's like Nico Nico basically slayed it with that rant because. 
you you can't even say freedom anymore without being considered an anti-government protester and this is coming from an american publication so all of us quote unquote freedom seekers we're we're anti-government uh domestic terrorists at, at this point or at least they're going to start to frame us that way and i don't know if you guys heard what what biden's been saying this week but he was saying stuff on on that same vein where uh, he's not only going to be looking for international terrorists, but domestic terrorists. So Nico is 100 percent right with that rant because they're, they're already teeing it up where we are, especially as Bitcoiners. And Nico's been saying this for, for weeks now that pretty soon the, the mainstream media is going to come after Bitcoiners. And we've been seeing it this last this last week. You know, like, I, I hate to say his name, but Elon's been still doing his rounds. Wynick has had, a, had his tweet blow up just saying, no, Elon. And he's not the only one. We've had a lot of people come out against Bitcoin this week. And it's, it's man, it's almost too fitting that the narrative is, is so... Um, so aligned amongst so many different people that now they're looking for the the quote-unquote domestic terrorists because as, as, as this is my personal opinion but as a bitcoiner as someone who is orange pill aware and sees what's going on it's very obvious that the powers that be have lost control or at least have lost the control that they're used to and now they're looking out and they're wondering how do we rein this back in how do we control the narrative again because i mean guys if you're still listening to the mainstream media and you're like under i don't know 45 or something like there's there's definitely something wrong with you i understand a lot of boomers still look at the news as you know viable truth that they're actually giving you news they're actually feeding you truth but all these all, all young people know that they're just spinning a narrative and they're they're making this shit up as they go along. So we we can see the writing on the wall that they're coming for the quote unquote truthers or, or those that don't toe the party line, that aren't willing to eat the status quo narrative. And as Bitcoiners, we are that fringe group. I mean, everything we do is hinged on the idea of freedom. And if New York Times you know, say what you want about them, but they still have some authority, quote unquote, and some clout in in people's minds. And if if you if they're saying that you can't say freedom because it's anti-government protests, like, bro, it, man, it's just crazy. You know, like America, at least the the nation seems to have fallen already. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but our <laughs> everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people that are millennials or zoomers they they have eaten the sludge and they think that communism or socialism is the way and man like america was built on the idea of freedom and now we can't even speak our mind you know first they come for the first amendment and then they're coming for the second so like guys it, it is getting getting hairy out there but it it's also going under the radar because as far as everyone's concerned it's still the same old story it's still the same status quo and nothing has really changed but i was i was listening to clancy on uh the de la de la bitcoin or de la matrix bitcoin podcast 
And, you know, like, if you still think that we can go back to normal or at least the old normal, like, you're being naive and we need to wake up. And I, I was definitely one of those persons like, yeah, maybe we'll just go back to, you know, some semblance of normalcy. But it seems like the foot has gone on the pedal and, and we are we are in, in drastic, dire times. And, and that is a little hyperbolic because as far as everyone's concerned in America, you know, life is pretty normal and pretty stable. But the dollar seems to be going to shit. Mainstream media has lost the narrative. And people like us that are on YouTube, that stream, that spread the truth out, you know, like YouTube is the new news source and this information is getting out there and it might take a little while for the information to fully distribute amongst people and fully be digested. But like we control the narrative, you know, the plebs control the narrative and like we're winning this war and they can gaslight us as much as they want, but we know what's happening and they've lost control of not only the the mind share and the narrative but the money and the money is how they they have been able to maintain control so like guys we we gotta keep keep spreading the memes keep talking our shit keep shit posting keep stacking sets because like we're, we're winning this shit guys and and it's not going to be an easy fight but like we're out here and we just got to continue to do it and continue to double triple down because this is the way, and, and, you know, like, excuse my French, but fuck them, guys. Like, fuck all these guys that are on the other side. You know, Bitcoin is freedom, and if they don't they don't agree with you, well, then, you know, like, have fun in your gulags because I'm not trying to be there. So, I don't know, man. It, it's just, it's crazy to see this happening from the front rows, and we've been following this every week for, I don't even know, what, over a year now and for for, for more dude for, right? for years dude we just see it progressively getting worse and like it's 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 just crazy but i do agree with you dude like we're winning and they're scared they're not even on not only are they scared they're melting down bro the the other side is melting down because they know we're winning they know that we can't stop that 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 they can't stop us now it's just a matter of waking up as many people as possible before the music stops. One thing that I found very effective, um, you know, I, I love the study of, of, you know, one of the things that, that fascinated me was, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of like the study of like communist propaganda, leftist propaganda. And one of the things that, 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 that they're very good at, it's very effective, dude. Like you have to give credit where credit is due. Like think about a lot of the sl slogans, like they come up, they came up with like in the last, you know, about year, 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 two years. Right. Like, like think about it, like whatever your political leanings are, you know, like think about the slogan, black lives matter. It's a very catchy slogan. How do you defend against that? Are you saying black lives don't matter? You know, defund the police, you know, hands up, don't shoot. You know, it's like very catchy shit, right? Unfortunately, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the people on the right, they're always playing defense. They're always trying to defend, you know, and like they have the rationale on the side, but they're always trying to like, you know, defend. It's like, it's not black lives matter. It's all lives matter. But then you sound like a racist, right? So it's like, oh, so you're against black people, you know, and have fun staying poor. <laughs> exactly that's what i'm trying to tell you dude is that like 
use those fucking slogans, man. Come up with slogans, man. Like, you're against Bitcoin, you're against freaking. Have fun staying poor. Like, the slogans, the slogans are so effective. The memes are so effective. And it just ridicules the other side. Because the other side, they, they, they built themselves a nice little golden cage, right? They, they have to dress up in suits. They what have you know, to bro. Go... Yeah, what's up? What are you, a consensualist? <laughs> <laughs> bro, they have to, the, bro, the other side has to dress up in suits, right? They have to wear a tie. They have to wear, like, you know, they have to, they have to go up on TV. They have to keep their back straight. They have to whatever. They have to do all this shit, right? Just to convince you, right, that their money is sound, right? Like Christine Lagarde like, literally said on today, she's like, you want the safest money. You want central bank digital currency. Let me tell you something. If you have to go on the internet and say to people that you have the safest fucking money, you don't have the safest fucking money. You have the worst fucking money, okay? And everyone fucking knows that, right? So use their, what they use as like this system of like elitism, right? Like I wear a suit, I'm better than you. I, you know, I drive this car that I'm better than you, whatever. Use that against them, ridicule them, right? So the the, the fact that we could just literally go in our, in our underwear, in our boxers, bro, in a sweater, like literally whatever the fuck we want, we could tell the truth and they can't. And, and because they can't, they have to wear a suit to compensate for the fact that they're fucking lying to you, right? But we could wear whatever the fuck we want, and we could say whatever the fuck we want, and we could use whatever vocabulary, we could curse, we could say whatever, and our message is still much more effective than theirs. And, it, and our message still resonates much more with people than their message. Why? Because we're telling the truth. We have the truth on our side, right? So use their ridiculousness, right? Their ridiculousness of like hiding behind these ivory towers, you know, wearing these fucking suits, acting like they're the fucking masters of the universe. Use all of that shit. Use their hubris against them, bro. And attack it, bro. Attack it savagely, man. And they won't be able to take it. And you've seen this. You've seen this. A, a recent article in the Financial Times. It's like, stop calling the dollar fiat. You know, the, the, the dollar winning. isn't a meme. You know, like, that's when you know you're winning. That's when you know that the things that you're doing are effective. It's getting to them because they know that they're losing. To- Bro, once a majority of the U.S. population realizes, like, holy shit, why the fuck do I have my money in a bank? I could literally just take self custody over it. The whole U.S. banking system falls the next day, right? Like, that's the power, man. That's the power that we have as the plebs, man. We have to convince each individual one at a time, get them to take self custody, and while doing that, you're you're defeating the other system from within because the fiat system requires people, right? The Bitcoin doesn't require anybody, right? They need us. We don't need them. Ooh, you dropped your your crown, King. Dropping bombs tonight, guys. Dropping bombs. 
Um, I, I love how you tapped into that. The uh, the. I mean, just speaking about the the way that the the current system controls things, uh, and they do it in a in a system that entrenches people, and you know we've we've witnessed this in sort of the political system that you know both sides cannot ag agree. They've they've become you know so far apart that there is essentially no consensus anymore, and then uh, and but then they maintain control by you know uh, con controlling the the media narratives um and and are able to to do these huge information campaigns whereas like here we are and that we finally introduced something that they can't control so so now we get to play our own game we don't have to play your game anymore um and and it's just it's just uh, a huge opportunity for for hope to actually create a system that that we want to participate in um and yeah let we can just celebrate this win wow guys this has been fire this has been super fire i i don't even know how to follow this up our our other topics don't even seem to come close to all this these bombs we've been dropping right now damn guys Bro, we're freedom fighters without having to fire guns, man. It's pretty badass. Ooh, let's go. Um, well, speaking speaking of hijacking the narrative, I'm I'm gonna take a little pivot. Um, this week, I don't even know how to say our boy's uh Twitter handle, but what's it? Giggles, Gegglesmer, uh, successfully hoodwinking mainstream media. So I think I think this is a a good pivot to talk about since since this is just a bunch of plebs shooting the shit about Bitcoin about what happened last week and for those that aren't on Twitter like us for those that aren't addicted to Twitter like us uh, on Bitcoin Twitter last week I don't know who started it but someone started the idea of putting a generic picture in your Abbey and then creating a generic uh, like corporation name for your Twitter handle and just start memeing generic tweets about Bitcoin or even sarcastic tweets about Bitcoin just to, I guess, fight the narrative. And our boy Gigglesmer tweeted that, uh, let me look up the exact name that he put on, but he tweeted that an is Israeli fund had bought $2.3 billion worth of Bitcoin and Yahoo News and other mainstream media's uh, organizations picked it up and and were <laughs> were making stories about it being real. And his name was the Israel Investment Fund Group. And the tweet was has announced they have invested a whopping or uh, has a, uh, has invested two point three billion in Bitcoin. And Yahoo Finance has still not even taken the story down. So. Just like rewind what we've been saying this whole night for the last 50 minutes. And once you get the right lens on, the right colored lens on, you can start to see how bullshit everything is, man. Like, I forget who says it, but everyone's been saying on Twitter, or there's a lot of people that say, like, once you understand a topic really well and you see how much the mainstream media butchers that topic, 
you wonder how much they butcher other topics that they cover. And to see this happening this week was absolutely hilarious because we most of us knew it was a troll. Actually, the majority of people knew it was a troll, but there was some Bitcoiners that even, you know, got trolled themselves. And then to see mainstream media pick up on it and, and crypto people make YouTube videos about it. It's just it's just man, like it's absolutely hilarious. You you know that these people don't do the research for it, you know. They they just they don't they don't verify, they just trust. And to see this happening, you know, in real time is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, and Wynikus just put it in the in the Discord chat so you guys can see it in the video. And man, it's just it's so funny, man. Like to see this happening, to see one of our Bitcoin pleb trolls just trolling everyone in real time. You start to see how much, how or at least how big of bullshit mainstream media is. And like I said earlier, if you're still following mainstream media, like there is some sense of authority there, guys. Like you need to wake up. You're being naive, and it's just funny, man. Did did you? Uh, I'm sure most of you guys saw this, but what were you guys' thoughts on this? I just think that it proves to show that all news is pretty much fake news. Like the fact that a fake meme account tweeted something, got it to go viral. Obviously all the Bitcoiners knew that it was a joke and were retweeting it. And we'll write an article on Yahoo News about it without even getting a confirmation or anything of the sort. It's hilarious, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean... All news is fake. It, it it just it just goes to show, you know, like um, the the it, it, the the problem is that the these legacy like media institutions, like they they didn't have any competition before the internet came about, right? Like now the internet came about, and now all of a sudden, you know, all their ethics and all that stuff just goes out the window, and now they're just competing with everyone else on the internet, they're competing for clicks, right? Like they don't have time to verify information, right? They, they just, they just want the clicks, right? So it completely like, like it completely changed everything. And you know, the internet is doing exactly what it's done to every single other industry. We saw this with Blockbuster and Netflix. We saw this with uh, the long distance phone market. Uh, back in the early 90s, a lot of people don't know this, the long distance, the, the you know, the telecommunications companies, they sued like uh, the, the some of the Internet providers that per, that were providing communications. Right. Because it was it was cutting into their profit margins. Right. Because they now it, it used to be that that you would have to pay an arm and a leg to talk to someone in another country. Now you could do it for free with WhatsApp, right? So the internet just disintermediates a lot of, you know, uh, I would say analog legacy systems. And what we're seeing right now, right, we're witnessing this literally at the same time, right? We're witnessing the disintermediation of money, but also the disintermediation of information, right? So it, it's just, it's, it's, it, and what the fuck do you expect? It's chaos. Right. Because it's like no one knows what's true. No one knows it's whatever. But, you know, the people that grew up with the Internet, I feel bad for anyone over the age of 45 because they must be fucking confused. 
right? And they get led down these paths, you know, by the corporate media, by the people that control the narrative. And then they get led into believing something that that's not true, right? But anyone under the age of 35, you know, I would say they know they know how to get their news, right? They know they, they can go to Twitter and, you know, they get their news not from a single source, but they start to paint a picture in their head like, oh, this person said this, this person said this. And then they start putting the things together and then you have your news. The same thing goes with YouTube, right? You're not relying on just one single channel like CNN. You could be relying on multiple different, you know, independent content creators. You could be relying on Joe Rogan. You could be relying on Tim Pool. You could be relying on, there's so many of them, right? So it's just, it's like, it's changed everything, man. Like before there was just like this little box, right? It had like 50 channels, you know, you had your newspaper, you had five main newspapers and there was literally nowhere else to get your information, right? And then the internet came along and was like, Hey, you want to be a journalist? Have a computer. Hey, you want to, you know, you want to start a news studio? Have a camera and a microphone. You could be a news studio, right? So it's like the legacy systems, they're trying to compete with the new systems and they can't, right? They don't, they just, they, 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 it's, it's like they're paying for like all this staff, all the, all this unnecessary junk. And then some kid in his underwear could just write funny tweets right and get more traction than these legacy institutions right so like in the process of them dying you know like they're not going down without a fight you know they're trying to like do whatever it takes to like remain relevant and in that process you know they they've thrown all their ethics out the window preach bro okay guys well, we've gone. Point there, bro, about about clickbait and how like maybe they're keeping that article up there on Yahoo Finance because we keep clicking it, and it's probably gotten a bunch of fucking action, you know. So they're just like leaving it up there, and then I mean Nico's rant right there was like <clears throat> spot on. It just, you know, it's it's funny how he used like the Hebrew translator, and I think he also got like a couple native Hebrew speakers. Um, I was looking through the comments and stuff and they were like asking questions in Hebrew, you know, um, just to show you like how good Google translate probably was for him. Um, or if he was, I don't know how, how he like wrote that in, you know, uh, if he used Google translate or if he asked someone to proofread it or something, but it was very well done. Like, you know, somebody from inside that fund or something was tweeting how it was fake. Right. Um, so it got to them. And I think that's like so funny because I think using the whole Israel, everyone's so focused on Israel, like of course that would fly, right? Like it was genius. <laughs> yeah, Giggle Smart fucking went in last week. That that was epic. But as I was gonna say, so we've been we've we've just had this whole podcast. We we essentially tore down mainstream media and we we did justice to the title of this this week's teachers lounge that everything you know is a lie and fake but let's not just leave the listener on the idea that everything's fake let's you know give them i guess some practical advice and i mean it's simple advice 
uh, I'm sure if they're new to Bitcoin, maybe they've heard it and maybe they've not. But I don't know, guys. Do you guys have, uh, you know, what what would be the the anecdote, the prescription for someone that just heard this rant, has been listening to us for a full hour, and is still pretty new to this Bitcoin space? And they just happen to stumble on us, and they're like, "Damn, man, these guys are really speaking facts and dropping bombs right now." And I need to figure out how I can protect myself. Don't be afraid. Bitcoin's not. Don't be afraid. There you go. It might sound intimidating, but don't be afraid. We we are speaking truth, and there's a lot to know, but you're in the right place. So keep digging. Let's go. Continue to stack. Get your your auto DCAs going, bro. Go, Winekus. It's warm and comfortable in here. You can come inside. It's safe. <laughs> uh, something I'd say, go go listen to Nico do his weekly rants on Simply Bitcoin. Him and Coin Icarus kill it. Uh, go create a safe space on Twitter. Follow the right people. Mute and potentially block some people so they don't get into your timelines. Um, turn off mainstream media, go pick up some good books, listening to some other podcasts by other epic Bitcoiners and just don't focus on price, man. Just, just buy Bitcoin consistently. DCA army, uh, as Friar House says, 10, 10 bucks a day, bro. Like just, just get that auto DCA going and continue down the rabbit hole and everything we've said to you tonight will become that much more clear and your conviction will grow that much more. And yeah, man, just like you'll, you'll, if you're still listening to us, you'll see the light and you'll understand that we are saying truth. We're, we're not just here saying what you want to hear. We're, we're here telling you the truth at, at potentially our own detriment. So like we're, we're here, just your average Bitcoiner telling you what we know spreading as much information as we can out to the interwebs so that other people can succeed and, and prosper in life because, you know, this, this is no way to live and this is no way to organize a society. There, this, is, this is ass backwards. And, you know, we're at the beginning of, of what may be a, a rocky decade and let's just continue the fight and continue spreading the memes and battle the disinformation with, with our powerful memes. And that's what we're doing. And we'll continue to do that every week. And I know I don't want to end this right here. Cause Jessifer, I knew, I know that we wanted to, uh, give, give, give you some plugs at the beginning of the show, but there was so much fire signal with Jimbo that maybe we'll just do it now. How it sound good to you, Jester? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah, so I'll uh, let's see. Hard, hard uh, segue. Hard segue. Hard, hard segue. Yeah, uh, if you want to uh, keep talking um, lightning and and where this technology is going, uh, feel free to join me at uh, Lightning Friday. So I'll list off the Pacific time, but it's uh, it's at uh, one p.m. Uh, Pacific on Twitter spaces. 
so I'll be running that with Evan Kaludis and and Chaz from Lightning Junkies. Um, but and wait, wait, uh, and just a tad bit, Jessifer. Just a tad bit. You sound very professional in there, bro. We need more of that professionalism here. We need we need uh, we need you to guide the conversation potentially. So shouts out to you, dude. You're you're doing a great job over there. Hey, thanks. I need my DJ time too. So that's where you all come in. Um, but but you know, this is this is also good education too. Um, so I'll just take a quick moment to talk about diversification, because we all know that time is money. And uh, I, I'm here to tell you all that you have over-allocated your time to learning about fiat money, and it's time to learn a bit more about Bitcoin, an alternative system, and keep stacking and keep learning. Don't diversify into shit coins, though, bro. No. <laughs> don't, don't diversify your money, just Bitcoin. Your time, on the other hand, uh, diversify into Bitcoin. Awesome, dude. Um, well, we, we still got some time guys. So I think, uh, you know, we kind of really went ham this week. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very glad on this episode we had, uh, um, empty the banks on, on Twitter saying that we're dropping bombs out here guys. So shouts out to Nico's rant, shouts out to Shishi and Jimbo and everyone in the chat contributing to the show. So this was epic. It's been um it's been one of those weeks where the sideways price action has made Twitter and you know watching the Bitcoin space a tad bit boring. It's you know it's it's one of those times where people are going after each other and you just kind of have to put your head down, maybe maybe you know get away from your computer, get a get a get some fresh air on you go go do some things outside of bitcoin to uh you know be a fulfilled person but we're still here you know bitcoin hasn't died blocks are still coming in the the mining hash rate has jumped back on uh actually nico if you're still here how how's it been mining this week because last week we were saying how the hash rate dropped and it it went over a hundred exahashes for a little bit we're we're a little under right now but it seems like uh, you know a lot of that hash power is coming back on. So, so bullish. It's too early. It's too early to tell whether like that was the bottom. Um, I still want to give it like another week. Um, the recovery was expected. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is a fucking genius. Again, you know this is why a mining debt spiral doesn't happen because you know the the difficulty adjustment is there precisely again to incentivize you to jump back on the network to mine because it is more profitable specifically that was the largest uh difficult that was the largest difficulty adjustment in bitcoin's history 27.9 percent but that's all noise and just pay attention to the signal and the signal is this a nation state in fact one of the most powerful nation states in the world attacked bitcoin and the bitcoin network kept working like nothing ever happened okay so like all that china fud and all that shit it's like oh it's centralized in china or like oh bitcoin isn't decentralized enough or like bitcoin could be shut down or like bitcoin could whatever 
you now have uh, you can now just slap them because they're just talking shit, you know, like and this was, you know, the perfect case study. And a lot of a, a lot of things that, you know, and you guys have heard this a million times, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What doesn't kill Bitcoin makes it stronger. And Bitcoin just survived an attack from China, literally taking out 50 percent of the hash rate. And the honey badger didn't give a fuck. It kept working like nothing ever happened. And it looks like the hash rate as of July 3rd has 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 uh, recovered a little bit. Now, if it keeps recovering or essentially staying around the same at the same uh, at the same. Let me see what how many exa hash is it's at right now. It's at 96.5. So if, if that's an estimation, though. Um, so like if it remains at these levels right around 100 exa hashes, uh, around 100 exa hashes and it starts that slow recovery upward, uh, the price should follow um, soon after about a couple weeks after. Right. So that was essentially the main driver for the drop for the 50 percent, um, you know, like crash essentially was this uh, was this ban from China. Now, the thing that we all don't know. Right. And a lot of us have been talking about this is like this seems like a lot like this seems coordinated. Like it seems very coordinated. Like this whole thing seemed coordinated. Elon. And then the hash rate drop, like it all happened, like, you know, simultaneously at once. And, you know, all the all the FUD that just started pouring in, I've never seen Bitcoin be such so savagely attacked like it has been the last two months. So, um, you know, that tells me that tells me that a lot of people, you know, wanted the price to go down the way it did. Right. Um, so that's exactly what happened. But uh, but but yeah, man, it looks like the the hash rate, you know, bottomed out. Let's see what happens now, man. Hopefully it keeps continue. It keeps either it, it, it either keeps going sideways, which is a good thing, or it, you know, it slowly starts to climb back up. If we see it slowly start to climb back up, you should start feeling bullish again, because that's very good news. Bullish. Let's go. Sean asked you, Nico, does hash follow price or price follow hash? Does price follow hash? Does hash power so, follow the price or does the price follow the hash power? Hmm. Okay. So because of what ha so in this specific situation, the hash rate drop wasn't caused by market forces. It was caused by an artificial force, meaning the CCP shut down the miners right but usually right for like for example when a halving happens like a bitcoin halving happens i could tell you like for a fact whether there's going to be a whether there's going to be the next bull market if after the halving right the hash rate continues to go up right because what does that what does that tell me that tells me that even though the uh, the mining rewards for those miners literally got cut in half. You're literally making less than half of what you were making before, right? But there's still more hash rate coming onto the network. It tells me that there's tremendous amount of interest from miners wanting to mine Bitcoin, 
wanting to go after that cheap corn, right? Or, you know, that sweet, sweet corn, right? So does it traditionally, I would say that the hash rate is a leading indicator to price, but it's not always so. And the reason it's not always so is because, again, there could be events like, you know, like the the flooding in China that crashed a lot of the hash rate, uh, like this event where a country just decides to ban Bitcoin mining. So usually like those events are, are, are never like you can't expect that. Right. And that could be situations where you, the price could fall and then the hash rate follows. Right. So usually I look at the hash rate. The hash rate to me is more important than the price. And that is because the hash rate is literally the value proposition of Bitcoin, right? The value proposition is very simple. The higher the hash rate, the higher it is to computationally attack Bitcoin, right? That That's just, that's just the way it is, right? So if the hash rate is really high, you know, it's going to take you more energy, more electricity, more computational power to attack the network, meaning it should be worth more, right? If the hash rate is lower, right, it takes less computational power to attack Bitcoin, meaning it's less valuable, right? So that's what I look at, right? But again, like I said, this time is different. And th the reason that this time is different was because the hash rate didn't crash because of market forces, right? The hash rate crashed because China was like, yo, fuck that shit. We have to stop mining inside the country, right? So... Yeah, usually look at the hash rate and the hash rate will t is is a it's it's a much better indicator uh, of the health of the Bitcoin network than any price signal you'll ever see, right? Because if if I'm seeing the hash rate just keep going up and I see the price either staying the same or the price going lower, I'm I'm just I'm like, bro, this thing's about to pump, right? So to me, it's a leading indicator. Uh, you know, people have different opinions on that. Uh, again, I might be a little bit biased because I do come from the mining world, or at least that's like my background in Bitcoin. So, you know, that's just my opinion, though. But, uh, you know, Sharon, what do you think? I was just typing a little something, but um, I just think it has. To, I think if you follow how hard it is to extract Bitcoin in general. So one way to extract it is to buy it on an exchange, but the other way to extract it is to mine it, obviously. And um, I think the harder, the more expensive it becomes to extract, the more sought after it will become in the long term. But in the in the short term, you know, when you move an entire industry, when you shut off an entire country's energy source to an industry, I mean, there's bound to be some some capitulation, right? You need a um, sell some Bitcoin to move, you know, to cover some short-term costs. But, you know, this is the most bullish thing I've ever seen um, for a network ever, where it's like, okay, like so much of the hash rate is supposedly centralized there and it doesn't mean a damn thing because we're over-securitized in Bitcoin, right? For the most part. Bullish. Let's go. Uh, Sean, I don't, I don't mean to throw another segue in here, but Sean's been going heavy on being a bear on Twitter. And he asked, are we in a bear market, guys? Uh, Shishi, I think this is your time to shill. To shill, shill your paid group, bro. 
I'm sorry, bro. Sean was a, or one of our first graduates, but he went rogue. He went all the way, bear, and I don't know what to do. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. What, I don't know what juice he's been drinking over there with Minnie, but he needs to lay off that juice, bro. Look, well, I, I will. I will say. I will say that the last time we had this many red candles in a row on the graph that I'm looking at, um, we had another set of red candles come right after and it was like a similar set of red candles so um but we've also never uh had this type of setup on the top of like a parabolic movement and so that leads me to think that um we're actually right in the middle of this like sort of last cycle idea right so you know i think like if we have less red candles between each micro penis of death which just signals the top of a parabola, right? It's a green candle. It signals the top of a parabola, right? And it's actually there. Like you can go, you can go look for it. But um, um, in between a micro penis of death and a parabola, there there has been a shrinking number of red candles with green mixed in. We haven't had one green yet in a sea of now the tenth red candle. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how far it goes. I, I don't understand half of the fights on Bitcoin Twitter, but. I would think everyone would be pretty happy right now, but I guess it like weeds out so many newcomers. That, but I don't know. I haven't seen too many people get weeded out. I really don't know what people are talking about these days. So, so um, I, I I think if my personal opinion is, I think we are mid bull cycle. Um, we it it got they got like people got way too people got way too confident in the beginning of the year, and then also there was a massive hash rate drop. Right, which played a significant, you know, part in you know the 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 crash that we just experienced. Right, so uh, we are in a bear market. I have no idea, but I'll let you know in two weeks based on where the hash rate's at. If I see that the hash rate continues to go down, right, and the price is holding steady, the price could only hold steady for so long. Um, What's it? Go for it. What? What's a bear market? Like define the, what a bear market is. A bear market would be the 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 64,000 was the top and we are we would we would literally I would say stay between, you know, the the high teens, mid 20s, 30 low 30s for an extended period of time. And I, and I could see that happening if for example if the hash rate doesn't recover, right? If the hash rate does recover, um, or like, or it's not that it needs to recover to where it was at, a, a, where it was at all time high. What what it needs to do is it starts. To, it needs to be going on an upward trajectory. If I see that the hash rate is going on an upward trajectory, that tells me that millions and millions of dollars are being spent, right, by people to mine Bitcoin. And when you mine Bitcoin, you're speculating on that Bitcoin accumulating in value um, later on in time, right? So that tells me that smart money, right, um, is going on the network, right? At the same time, because the hash rate is going higher, uh, theoretically, the Bitcoin network becomes stronger to attack. The reason I say theoretically 
is that Bitcoin has reached such a level of computational power backing up the network that even after this 51 that this 50% hash rate drop for you to brute force Bitcoin or for you to actually attack it successfully is economically unfeasible, even for the biggest governments of the world. Like it's just it's it's gotten to that level of 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 decentralization and security. Right. So but I still want to see that hash rate recover, you know, so the so the next two weeks, it's going to be really interesting. I want to see where it goes. So far, we have an uptick, but it's it's really, really, really too early to tell. Um, but again, the incentive is huge. Okay. Because think about it. Like I, I, I reported this like a couple of days ago on simply Bitcoin. Um, this mining company, this Chinese mining company, they had 400 megawatts, 400 megawatts. That's a fucking huge facility. Right. And it was shut down in China. They raised $50 million in the United States for them to relocate right so think about that for a second right think about that for a second why would you give someone 50 million dollars if you weren't bullish on bitcoin in in, in uh, bullish on bitcoin's future right so that's just one story then i heard another story of 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 not bitmain but the other main chinese miner um they're relocating their whole facility to Kazakhstan, right? And then you start to see all the, you know, the, the, the Twitter pictures and the videos and the whatever. And you just see this massive migration of miners. And, and the beautiful part about all of this is that there's no central authority. There's no committee. There's no anyone telling any of these people to do this. They're all doing it on their own because they're incentivized by uh by the bitcoin network to go back and to start mining as soon as possible right so we've never lived through something like this this is a really really weird bull market because you know again it wasn't market forces that crap that caused the hash rate to drop it was an artificial force right so i really want to see you know that hash rate recover um until like I become bullish again. Like if, if I start to see it recover, I'm like, okay, the price is going to, the price is going to follow soon after this. Someone knows, so, someone knows something that we don't, you know, something's going on. Right. But, uh, but it's too early to tell. Epic bro. Bullish. Barras can, can go neck. Uh, this, this, this episode is going to get us canceled because of the memes, because of all the heat. But we're out here until we get canceled, boys. So, should poll? What was that? Should we put on the poll? Are we going to be canceled before episode <laughs> one? <laughs> Shoot it, dude! Shoot the poll. We'll we'll, we'll we'll be back with the with the results next week, guys. Um, this has been a rip. Thanks for everyone that's been watching on YouTube. Thanks for everyone that contributed to the rants, especially Nico. Nico, you went off. Shouts out to you, brother. And shouts out to everyone memeing in the Discord channel because that shit's hilarious. Um, yeah, guys, this was episode 102. So we'll, we'll be back with the poll next week, whether we will make it to episode 169 because YouTube will for sure cancel us or at least shadow ban us. Something or one of the two. 
And um, yeah, we, we'll we'll be back next week, guys. We'll, we'll, even if we get canceled, we'll figure out a way to uh, to stream the show, guys. So we love you guys. We appreciate your time. Go like and subscribe on our YouTube channel. Go go spread some of this stuff out to your friends and family. Help us help us spread the message. Help us get our numbers up so that we can underwrite the the YouTube algorithms and and maybe get more people on board with us. So peace out, guys. We appreciate it. We will see you next week, same time on Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Time. This is episode 102, and this is Optimus Fields, and we're out. Peace, guys. Bleep. Bleep, bleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right.